0: Thank you for tuning in to the 1st Gen Hunter podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Well, hey, Zef, it's good to finally get you here on the podcast uh you're with my medic and uh my medic has quite the inspiration for how it came to be i i think i remember reading this on the website uh about oh probably about a year ago or so when when uh start first started partnering with my medic as uh, an affiliate advertiser and um can you kind of like tell me and the listeners the story behind how my medic came to be
1: Sure, can't Yeah, super grateful to be here. Glad we could finally connect.
0: Definitely.
2: Um,
1: yes, yeah, so I, I work for my medic. I work uh, in the marketing department. Uh, my medic. We're based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, we're a family-owned company, so we're owned and operated uh, by four siblings. Uh, those four siblings um, unfortunately lost uh, their father in a tragic car accident, mm. and um, with with that, you know, had the vision for the company, decided to. To start the company and you know you know have the goal of preparing the everyday citizen for the unexpected emergency it was a very normal day um just on his way to and from got into a car accident and kind of just bled out unfortunately in the front seat of his pickup truck while bystanders stood by with no equipment or training <laughs> um to save his life so that's that's where we started um fast forward to today i, I think you know we're considered one of the premium offerings in the first aid space. Um, and I think we do first aid kits and the supplies in those first aid kits really well. And we're always looking to innovate and make products better, make products more uh, price appropriate. Um, so we can you know ultimately fulfill our mission, which is to get more life-saving first aid gear into the hands of as many people as possible.
0: Man, that's huge. You know, we, I've heard of stories similar to that. And I think, uh, None of us really, none of us really consider that specific situation, you know, like, like uh, we might think about, oh, if I ever had this happen to me, I would try and, you know, take my belt, tie it around my leg or, you know, uh, p- apply, you know, the, the basic first aid stuff that a lot of us either learn. I mean, I remember back in ninth grade, I le- we had to do for our health class, a, uh, basic first aid training we got we all got first aid certified cpr certified um but people don't really think about it in the context of well what if i come across somebody else who's you know unfortunately been involved in some really bad accident like like you mentioned or or even here in the context of hunting what if you're uh, just hunting with a buddy and you know I just heard, I just heard on another podcast actually yesterday while I was working, somebody was uh, a hunter was hiking through some thick brush in uh, Colorado. And uh, there was somebody's old arrow with broad, with the broad head attached laying in the brush guy, Mm -hmm. the guy stabbed himself in the thigh and had to be life flighted off of the mountain. So, I mean, I, I just think it's a lot. And we'll talk about this more, just like the preparedness side of it. But a pretty powerful inspiration there to, I guess you'd say in a way, equip the everyday citizen with the tools they need, not just the knowledge, but with the actual tools, because, you know, yeah, a belt can get you by sometimes, but a regular, uh, what do they call them? Cat style tourniquet. Uh, yep. that's going to be a thousand times better. It's the tool for the job. It's not just make and do. And, uh, that's, uh, it it's tragic that that happened to, uh, uh, the mimetic family, founding family, um, but man, they sure have honored their dad by taking that as a mission and trying to prevent that grief from, you know, yep. entering other people's lives. So that's a that's a pretty powerful story there, man. That's that's yeah, uh,
1: yeah. It, it's been really good and and really great working here. Um, uh, you can definitely tell that everyone, you know, takes that mission to heart for sure. Um. It's, it's really great because we get to work alongside, you know, those siblings. I'm, I'm looking at Landon here, who's one of the siblings, is you know, doing some work on his, on a work desk, desk over here. So awesome. getting to work by the, next to them and, um, you know, with them every day is really great. And, you know, it's really rewarding when uh, I started in customer service. Um, now I'm in my, my current position, but uh, it's really been great to hear those customer stories um, and, and hear about, times and places where you know your product made a difference um so super rewarding work that we do here and yeah we've got a really really awesome mission um unfortunately from from a tragedy but uh, a mission gained nonetheless
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's inspiring to see people use adversity like that and, and, uh, make the world a better place coming out of it. That's, it really is. So that's, uh, it gives you that, that, uh, I don't know what the the right term is here, but maybe that confidence that the people behind the product are, uh, are doing this in a way for themselves. So, you know, it's going to be good. And, uh, it's not just, uh, some, you know, something that's, oh, this would be a good way to make some money or whatever, like a lot of businesses do, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with, but this is truly something born out of passion, born out of love. And, uh, uh, that that's what makes it an excellent product, which I do want to, I want to talk about that a little bit more here in just a few minutes because, um, my cousin and I did a review on, uh, the, uh, uh, my fact pro kit uh, back before my bear hunt this last spring. And uh, he <clears> is a, a three time uh, combat veteran to Iraq. Uh, he's with the Marine Corps and, um, uh, he also uh, is a full time paramedic, and so uh he was really impressed with what was in that kit It's not just uh something that's that's uh you know coming off the shelf at a big box store or something there's a lot of thought that went into that yep. and, and we'll uh talk about that in a little bit but so, totally. uh, you're out there in the West, a little jealous right now, you know, right. You know, <laughs> October is my month, uh, here in Iowa. I love hunting uh, right. big white tails in October. November's great too. Of course, you know, everyone gets amped up about the rut. Um, uh, so, uh, we're, we just ended October yesterday and now, uh, things are kind of as far as like, like I still got an archery tag I can fill, but it just gets so much harder after the gun seasons happen here. And I just find myself mm-hmm. looking at these western people that are like oh yeah i still got a still got an elk tag still got a mule deer tag you know maybe i'll get out and do some late season antelope hunting or something somewhere and mm-hmm. it's like man all those options it's just got to be nice but uh are yep. you're, you're living it up out there out west and you are a hunter so yep. uh have you have you gotten out much this year
1: yeah, I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, film my general season mule deer tag here in Utah. Nice. Uh, that was uh, Halloween weekend. Uh, that was awesome. And then I have a coos deer hunt down in Arizona. Oh, jealous, um, man. Taking off here in about two weeks. Wow. Um, that's where. That's where I'm originally from is Arizona. I okay. grew up hunting coos deer, um, so I'm used to spending a lot of time behind the glass. Um and so I, I really look as I actually I've lived in Utah for a couple of years, but I intentionally have kind of kept my residency in Arizona. Um which you know technically I'm not supposed to do that, um, because I've never <laughs> long been in Utah, but I kept my residency in Arizona because I love hunting cousin so much sure. and it's so much easier for me to draw a coosier tag as a resident than as a non resident. So I really yeah. look forward to that hunt every I usually can draw that tag every two maybe three years
0: okay very cool yeah that's a that's a bucket list item for sure for me that you know i i I suppose it's probably from uh meat eater and um Mm -hmm. i know randy newberg has had done some uh film projects with uh coos deer hunts in the past but seems like coos deer hunting has kind of exploded in the last five years now talking to somebody who's a uh you know a true local to the area is that uh
2: yeah
0: is that an accurate outsider's perspective on coos deer
1: yeah um i think yeah it, you know the the meat eater crew newberg and uh the Hushin crew gets down there and does mm. some coos deer hunting yeah. as well um i think and i think it's great like being from arizona you know I love that we have more, more hunters coming to Arizona, which obviously means more funding for Arizona game and fish, yep. which means they can do their job better. Right. So I'm all for it. Luckily I grew up in a very, you know, very small town in Arizona with cooster hunting in my backyard, but it's not, it's like still a three hour drive from Phoenix, a two hour drive from Tucson, the major airport. Sure. So in, in terms of like, and it's really far South. So people coming from, utah it's it's kind of far away i'll just put it that way so i don't think my area in particular has really been the unit that i hunt has been super affected by you know this kind of uptick in coaster hunting um mm. but i do think just in general over the state and i think in in the regulations that have come out in the last couple of years it's it's obvious because uh for example the over-the-counter archery tag um for Arizona, which typically you could do in August and then you can also do December, which bleeds into January.
2: Okay.
1: That used to be like an un- unlimited over-the-counter tag um, for residents and non-residents. Um, and now it's uh, it's not quite, un- it's still technically unlimited, but they're doing mandatory reporting. And once a unit reaches a certain quota of deer harvested, then that unit is closed to that, oh, that wow. tag. Um, so that was uh, <laughs> put into place. This will be the first year that they've done that um so, so do, they, they
0: do they do they close that unit like boom you're in the you could be in the middle of your hunt and you need to be dialed in on yeah. like an app or something to, to I, see uh,
1: from my understanding because bear reporting is done the same way in Arizona <laughs> um you need to and obviously like you know there's flaws with the system and i think there's some grace as well like if you were in an area and you didn't have cell service and you had no idea that the unit to quota was filled i don't think you're going to you're not going to be going to jail for poaching sure. I'm sure that the, I know that the Arizona game and fish has worked in some buffer, um, with those quotas for those units. Um, but you are supposed to as often as you can, uh, I believe there's a number you can call. Um, and it's just like an automated thing. It'll tell you if like what units are open and what units have reached quota.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. And I like that too. I mean, I think probably to the public that, that, uh, makes people feel a little better too to non-hunters um yep i know that uh another thing i heard uh yesterday on that same podcast actually is a shout out to uh cal's we can review uh this is, <laughs> it's just good to listen to that you get that you know quick 25 minutes of what's going on in the outdoor world but uh there's a real deal going on in montana right now with the wolf hunts up there and mm-hmm. and that's been one of the arguments uh there's there you know the, the argument is we how can game and fish really know how many wolves are in a unit and then uh people kill more than than uh, they should well i mean obviously in that case you know anytime you're talking about wolves you're just <laughs> you might as well go ahead and throw fact right out the window <laughs> it's just straight mm-hmm. straight raw emotion you know there's like yeah. there's nothing more uh more a hot button but um the idea though you know is that we want to make sure that we're not over harvesting in one unit or or in a particular area um right making it unbalanced in our harvest so i think it's probably a, a pretty smart idea we actually looked at we ended up hunt, like i said hunting bears in in montana and one of the reasons we chose montana wyoming would have been a lot closer for all of us cuz uh uh, well except for one guy who came in from texas but for the other three of yeah. us would have been uh, a lot closer to go to wyoming um, but this is the same deal uh one they have they had a sow quota so uh mm-hmm. if uh you know enough sows had been tagged um yep. they would shut down the unit because it's just too hard you know to identify between a boar and a sow it, you know, rifle distance or whatever. Yep. So yep. it was, you know, it, that was kind of my first introduction to that kind of rule, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Now, here's something, being a Arizona native, this has been the the buzz conversation for the last year and a half. Of course, it's dying down now, but when it came out, mm-hmm. it was a huge deal. The trail cam ban in Arizona. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Get ready to make some enemies here, Zev. <laughs>
1: I'll say I see both sides of the argument. I've never been one to set up trail cams. Um, Mostly it's because I was always living in a different city than I was hunting. So I always hunt hunt in my home, like where I grew up, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really start hunting until I was in college. And at that point I was living in a different city. Um, So I have not had really any reason or it wasn't practical really for me to set up trail cams um, just because I was living two and a half hours away. Um, and now I live in Utah, which is really far away. Right. Um, so to me, you know, that rule didn't really affect me in the way that I hunt. I prefer to be a boots on the ground, love getting out scouting, you know, early summer in, into late summer. Sure. Um, I, I definitely see both sides. I think, uh, Utah, actually in Utah, you know, similar, uh, legislation is passing, I believe. Oh, pass, that's right. Actually.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Um uh, so I think in Utah, you can. You're allowed to place them in a unit that you're not going to hunt. I believe. Wow. Um, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, just,
0: just purely for biological data purpose, for curiosity's yeah, sake, yeah. you can have one out
2: there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. In,
1: in Arizona, I was a little. I was a little sad because I have some ties to. So a lot of people don't know uh, jaguars used to exist yeah. in Southern Arizona. Yep. Um, and so a lot of. Jaguar, you know, a lot of the reasons we know that is because people have gone out and set trail cams and it's very useful, you know, information for game and fish to know, because obviously they're protected. Um, my tie to Jaguars is um, my great, great grandfather was a livestock hunter um, in Arizona. So he had, you know, eight hounds. If any time there was wow. lions or coyotes he was having problems with, he'd bring okay. hounds out and, you know, take care of the problem. Sure. Um, he's, he has like, he's got documented a lion kills them over 100 wow uh, and he's <laughs> and he's one of the only to my knowledge he's one of the only men in the u.s that can say he's killed a jaguar on whoa. like u.s ground
0: whoa yeah. so that is wild dude
1: ja- it's super cool yeah does, does your family
0: cool. maybe you don't want to put this on the air does your family still have the pelt from from the? Not,
1: no not that not not that i'm aware of. If if so, no one knows where it is. Um, we've got a couple uh, a couple of mounts, but yeah, no no jaguar.
0: That is wild, that man. Would,
1: that would've been awesome. But well, um, what what is? I, I just so I, I, I just I it. just
0: heard this number like this week. The number on like documented. So, so I gotta ask a, a native from from uh, Arizona here how to pronounce this. We we Midwesterners we pronounce everything lazily, uh but it, mm-hmm. so growing up as a kid, I would have been taught to say jag wire, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> like a like a barbed wire fence. But yeah. is it is it like jaguar or or jaguar? How, how what's the correct pronunciation there? Yeah.
1: Tomatoes, tomatoes, that I, I couldn't <laughs> tell you what the what the correct Good pronunciation safe answer. is. Good say- you but- you you could ask people who have them all the time, like people who live in Mexico and South America and, um, they they probably tell you the right way.
0: Sure. Sure. (laughs) But, uh, I I think I just heard, um, this week that there's like, I mean, it's ridiculously low number of confirmed, like, uh, sightings or confirmed, uh, even Mm -hmm. in in the case of your grandfather, uh, tagging of Mm -hmm. a, uh, Jaguar in, in the the United States. So he yep. would be one of those seven, right? Yeah, it, yep. dude, that is wild, man. I, I yeah, feel, it's I, wild. I feel honored to be having this conversation with you, Zeb. That is like close <laughs> to some serious bi- biological history here in yeah. in uh, the United States, man. That is that is yeah. wild. What a cool, cool! What a cool to... bit of heritage for your family, man. Yeah, super awesome. To my knowledge, uh, there
1: is one small family of jaguars uh living in the mountains just south of tucson that are confirmed i think i believe game and fish has put a trail cam on where they believe their den is wow um that's the one case that i'm aware of that's like absolutely game and fish has confirmed it they exist they're protected they know they're there if someone does anything to them it's gonna be big trouble
0: man that is that is cool yeah i love yep. knowing stuff like that still around and uh, of course you know there's always the debate to uh, should we be you know should we try and uh transplant yeah, yeah yeah and it, man it's just so hard to know i just got done um listening to uh dan flory's uh most recent book a wild new world i think is what it's called um i will warn you it's a great book uh I listened to it while I was working. I, I get a lot of, I spend a lot of time around loud equipment, so I always have, uh, like headphones in and uh, or or earbuds in that are noise canceling, and and uh, I get to listen to a lot of books and and podcasts and so forth. And um, uh, that book was very well written. Uh, Dan Flores is just an excellent author. Uh, just he has he has such a, a thorough understanding of history for the time frame that he's writing within and he does such a thorough uh job of digging up the you know firsthand accounts that would support what it is he's writing about but i'm going to warn you in reading this it is it is uh, um i don't believe dan is anti-hunting He, however, is maybe like a very cautious acceptance of hunting. That's the vibe I get from reading the book. I don't want to speak for Dan himself, obviously. And so when you read it, it's kind of painful because uh, certainly, you know, there was an era within hunting. If you really even want to call it that in a lot of cases, um, you know, like a lot of times they refer to uh, uh, the hide hunters, you know, it's more like hide bounty hunters or killers or hired guns would be probably a better term for that of uh that you know 18 you know post-civil war to you know 19 teens kind of era um but uh that that uh you know kind of hits on that you know what do we do with bringing some of these critters back you know is it something is it is it worthwhile for one is it um is it even responsible at this point this far removed from having these things in an ecosystem Uh, boy it sure is tough but it just feels good to know that there's a few of the critters out there that are that are taking care of it themselves without our intervention you know what i mean it's just like i'm i think that when that can happen it's probably the best option, you know, that that was kind of the talk with uh, Colorado with their wolf reintroduction, you know, wolves were just mm-hmm. kind of starting to show up again. It's like, yeah, a lot of people just thought, well, if it's going to happen, let's just let it happen. Let's not, let's not yeah. jump in and pull strings or something. Right. Exactly. So uh, that'd be really cool though, to start seeing maybe a few more uh, Jaguars show up in the news down there in the Southwest. It's really cool. That'd be really cool. Now, speaking of, speaking of uh, kind of your background a little bit here, I got to know you're the first Zeph I've ever met. Where does the name, now I did, I did have, or I did know a a person named uh, Zeph, like Z-E-T-H. But I've never mm-hmm. heard of a Zeph. Where, where's yeah. the name Zeph come from?
2: Yeah.
1: So um, my full name is Ze- Zeffarino. Okay. Um, you just go by Zeph because it's a lot easier. Sure. My great great grandfather, who we were just talking about, was also named Zepharino. Um,
0: oh, man. That is my, awesome.
1: My my father's side of the family um, is from Northern Italy. Um, okay. I got here from Northern Italy about four generations ago. Sure. Uh, um and the name just, just kind of stuck. Um it actually it skipped a generation with my father, um, and his father, two generations, I should say. Um, but it's kind of always been in the family. Um and it's kind of funny too, because the initials, like the last name has obviously always been Prina, first mm-hmm. name has always been Zeff, And the middle initial has always been something that started with the C. Um, okay. so my my great great grandfather was Zeferino Sarai Prina. Um, That's and a then cool my name, name is yeah. And then, um, mine is Zeferino, Cameron Prina. So it's Very always cool. been CCP has always been the, the initials.
0: That's awesome. So now if I were to go over to Italy would would I see a lot more Zeph's around, or is it, is, Maybe.
1: It, is it pretty um, uh,
0: unique even, even in Italy?
1: I don't, I'm not sure. There used to be in Las Vegas, actually in the Venetian, there used to be a restaurant called oh, that's um, cool.
2: but it's only,
1: it's the only other time I've seen it, I've never been to Italy. Um, I would love to go and, you know, maybe I'll find out for myself, but, um, I couldn't tell you to my knowledge, the only other Zephyrino I've ever seen has been that restaurant in Vegas.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's cool. Yeah. My mom kind of has a similar, uh, uh, deal with her name. Her name is Sanya S A N Y A. And, uh, she was my, my grandpa, I guess, just kind of like made the name up when she was born and, um, she never, ever, Came across another Sanya in the world, and then um, mm-hmm. uh, Sanya Richardson, I believe, is her last name. Was an mm. Oly- Olympic uh, um, sprinter uh, for the U.S. Uh, okay. women's track team, and uh, um, she she was the only other, uh, still the only other Sanya that we know of to exist. But no, it's cool when you come across a unique name. Cool. There's always a story behind it, and uh, I'm glad I asked. It's yep. so cool that it's tied to your uh, grandfather who. It was one of yeah. seven yep. confirmed uh encounters here in the states with a, a jaguar. Man, that is so cool. Yep. Well, we better uh jump in here with uh talking about <laughs> we my medic. Got to do some work. <laughs> That's right. We got to get down to business here. This is what you're getting paid for today by uh by uh, my medic, but um <clears throat> you know, I, I titled this part uh, in the show Thinking About the Unthinkable because mm-hmm. um, I think that is one of the reasons why we re- so many people remain underprepared is because we don't even like to think about it. You know what I mean? It's just like, is it. it's, it's like going, going there puts these horrible thoughts in our head of, oh, I don't, you know, like stories that gross us out stories that, that uh, we, like I said, we don't want to think about, it you know, we want to get on. It. Mm-hmm. So to, to deal with it, to deal with the reality that this stuff happens to people on occasion, thankfully yep. it's only on occasion, but it does still happen. We got to be ready for that and um i don't know do you guys have any kind of like stats or or any way of you know maybe it's just like some anecdotal evidence on this but i wouldn't be surprised if you guys had some hard numbers too just like how many people are unprepared for you know some kind of emergency when they go out Mm -hmm. hunting or hiking or maybe even fishing somewhere like do you have any idea uh,
1: Um, for that specific demographic, not off the top of my head, I do know that, um, death by major blood loss is one of the, um, leading causes of death in America. That's absolutely 100% preventable.
2: Mm.
1: Um, in most cases, you know, in most cases, a commercially produced tourniquet and a little bit of know-how could save, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people's lives a year. Wow. Um. Uh, obviously, when you talk, and then that's you know a general population stat. I would absolutely assume that when you you know bring in a more uh, a demographic that's more prone to risk, like hunters and fishers and outdoorsmen mm-hmm. and women, um, that that stat uh, drastically increases um, by by a lot. Uh, you know, sure. I can speak. I, I can't speak to like having been involved in any, you know, life threatening injuries, but definitely even just like sometimes even the first aid kits that my hunting buddies will pack with them. I am not, not even talking about the life saving stuff. Um, are just like, dude, you just, it's just bandits and yeah. and a little bit of medicine. Like, um, you know, on my, my mule deer hunt earlier this year, I was uh, processing my deer and slit my finger almost down to the bone, Ooh. um, split open, pel- open the pelvis, split open the pelvis. and was super super glad that i had more than just band-aids and (laughs) more than just band-aids and and ibuprofen um, to take care of that because i had a storm rolling in and i need to get out of there but i didn't didn't want to have to take two trips to get this deer out so having the right things to take care of it real quick um keep it clean and sanitary obviously when you're working with bodily fluids and and whatnot cwd is a thing here in utah so you got to be cautious of that um So having the things to take care of that, finish processing my deer and get the heck off the mountain before we got hit with eight inches of snow um, was, you know, super important.
2: Yep.
0: Yep, definitely. And (laughs) I got to even think, too, you know, obviously that's a a health risk, you know, long term there. But a, a bad slit finger like that, let's say that if that was day one in your week-long hunt and you had just spent all that time mm-hmm. getting way back in mm-hmm. there um band-aids and uh, ibuprofen means you're going to have to come off the mountain because after a week of dirt and grime cut that bad you might be talking about uh you know being down to nine and a half fingers when you're done yeah, uh, you're about. done hunting so
1: infection gangrene all that nasty stuff yep.
0: yep so just having that kit with you and keeping it clean and and uh covered up appropriately um Mm -hmm. means you could you could very safely continue hunting for that remainder of a week for an injury of that type so i think that's another thing people don't consider when it comes to a med kit you know Um, i actually just heard a um very prominent voice uh in uh the hunting world uh i mean one of the probably one of the best hunters on the planet right now. And uh, he said, eh, I don't, I don't ever, I I don't put a med kit in my pack anymore because I figure I'll just be able to to take, if I don't know how to take care of myself and it's like, dude, that is the dumbest thing you could be saying, man. Uh, you like run a whole company and <laughs> you get a lot of people depending on you, let alone your family. And um, if you were to, if you were to have a cut like you had, or Worse, you know, be like the guy out in Colorado who just rammed a a broadhead into his thigh. You know, now mm-hmm. you're you're talking. There's it doesn't matter what you know if you don't have the tool, uh you aren't you ain't fixing the problem. So um, yeah. I just I think that there's so much more. You know the the amount of inconvenience of having an, uh, some extra weight in your pack is so non-existent compared to the amount of inconvenience to having to hike off the mountain early or you know try and get mm-hmm. a, a life flight up the mountain like the guy in colorado had to do yep. or try and get yep. to cell service where you can call in help or whatever i mean it's there's it doesn't even doesn't even compare in in my opinion yep. to to how that should be factored in together so yeah absolutely yeah, that's that's a, that's a good uh, testimony there for, for how you did it. So, yeah, I think um, most people, though, I think they have maybe not the same attitude of the guy that I just mentioned, but they're just as unprepared as he is. And mm-hmm. the, the thing about this is the backcountry, as much as we all build our lifestyles around hunting, uh, let's be honest, the number of days that most of us spend in the field probably less than 20 a year you know yeah. and and so that means 300 and uh 45 and a quarter days of the year um we aren't in the back country but we still have we still have risks that we encounter um yeah. last night uh my wife and I we drove the, our kids around uh the the town that we live by and just checking out everybody's uh, christmas lights they had on their houses yeah. you know it's just fun fun to do that with the kids and the whole time I'm just thinking man i'm one of those guys who does not put christmas lights on my house there's only so many there's only so many minutes in our lives and uh, i'd rather be out like uh shooting my bow going hunting looking for sheds doing something other than uh hanging christmas mm-hmm. lights on my house but the no- <sighs> the number of people that are putting up putting Putting up a ladder, climbing up that ladder, getting back down off the, reaching over and everything else. I mean, it's a miracle that half our population doesn't die the day after Thanksgiving every year from uh, people going Black Friday shopping and uh, hanging up Christmas lights on their roof. You know, so there's still all of these these risks that we don't even think of. Another thing, you know, um, uh, kids getting into uh, you know one of the colorly. Uh, drawers at home or something like that you know it's uh, there's just so many risks uh that tie Mm -hmm. to blood loss that i think every house should have uh, a full-blown med kit in it would you agree with that
1: yeah i mean absolutely you know as much as you know by our marketing you think we are you know because of our, our product is what it is a lot of people in the hunting fishing space the overlanding space, the camping space, and obviously first responders can resonate with that product. Cause they, they see its value and it's use. a lot of them, not not all hunters do, unfortunately. Um, and so that's where we lean into heavily marketing wise, just because those people get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the reality is, is that, you know, life threatening injuries can happen to all of us any day of the week, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, it could always happen. I mean, it yeah. doesn't, you can fall and you can fall and break your arm and you've got your, you know, You got your bone going out the wrong way and it popped an artery on its way through and you're in trouble. Right. Yeah. Um, and I I always say like as much as I like to do the quote unquote risky things, you know, hunt and fish and and camp and, you know, being remote places, probably the most dangerous thing I do every day. And most of us do every day is getting a vehicle.
2: Mm, Yeah.
1: Um, you know, whether you're the driver or the passenger being in, you know, being in a car wreck, can really make things go sideways um which is you know i was a company i started um yes. so you know as much as our you know we cater and market to specific types of people no matter who you are um, no matter what you do you should have a well-built first aid kit with life-saving equipment in it in your home and in your vehicle hands down no questions asked in my opinion so yeah. obviously i have a biased opinion
0: but. Yeah, yeah no i i I agree with you one hundred percent that was one of the when i when I got my kit that was is like I breathed a sigh of relief knowing that I had that in my house now, mm-hmm. you know with three little kids and uh you know my wife she loves to cook and everything, and uh she's definitely hacked a finger or two while uh, just you know preparing dinner and uh you know there's there's all sorts of other things last night my daughter was just running through the kitchen and face planted on the corner of the you know the the cabinets and whatever you know all this these little things that that can really you know thankfully in all of our cases they haven't been emergencies but they certainly could have been and uh knowing you got that kit um that can uh it might even be able to save you an ambulance trip too you know if uh save save saving an ambulance bill if uh, you have that life-saving equipment you can load up in the vehicle and drive to the emergency room because it's not it's not quite a life or death situation because you have the equipment yeah. there to keep it from being that. Whereas if you don't, yeah, now your only option is, you know, $2,500 uh, ambulance ride to uh, yep. uh, get you there. So again, it's just the, the, you know, the financial commitment is minimal compared to what it could be on the other side. And, you know, another way I like to view things in my life And I should say this, my medic is very affordable, but, um, you know, if people are looking at like, well, it's just something extra that I don't really know that I want to, that I need really need. Well, think of it this way. You know, if you were laying there bleeding to death and you had no options and someone said, Hey, you know what? would you pay let's say it's a hundred bucks for a kit would you pay a hundred dollars right now to be able to stop that bleeding you know the answer is obviously going to be yes you know so you got to look at what is the alternative the the worst case alternative to you know what i'm spending this money or time on or or this extra bit of weight in my pack on and say would i Mm -hmm. would i sacrifice that for the uh You know, in the worst of circumstances, that very possibly could happen. And if the answer is yes, then it's a no brainer, in my opinion. So, uh, definitely worth that. I do want to say this too you said a well built kit. And I want to go back to, uh, well, first of all, if you haven't seen the video yet, you can go down. It probably just be easiest to swipe over to my reels on uh, Instagram and uh, go down. You can see the review that my cousin Brian. Uh, did with me again? Uh, Brian is a three-time combat vet uh, in Iraq. In fact, he was uh, what do they call him? Explosives engineer or something like that. If you've ever seen the movie mm-hmm. uh, Hurt Locker, that was uh, Brian's job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know he's cool. dealing. He's dealing. Yeah, he's dealing with suicide bombers. You know, uh, uh, detonating IEDs and you know roadside bombs and and car bombs and stuff like that. So he's around really dangerous stuff that, yes, people, you know, if you're at, you know, the impact site or whatever, yeah, I mean, there's not anything that can be done, but certainly shrapnel and everything else, you got to be prepared to help your buddies out, your teammates out in those circumstances. And uh, then he also works in a, uh, uh, you know, in a very metropolitan, uh, you know, large urban area as a paramedic. So he's, you know, he gets Mm -hmm. probably... 20 plus calls a day and uh, so he had the experience for sure he's got the resume to understand what should be in a med kit he went through that thing and was was very uh impressed with with everything in there um he mentioned even uh like uh i don't remember the name of the the um tool but it's for like a uh a a chest wound where you have mm-hmm. like that negative pressure where it's yeah, a chest seal. Uh, yep. Yep. A chest seal. And, uh, um, uh, the different tourniquets that are available, all the, mm-hmm. you know, allergic reaction, uh, medication, and even you can custom fit these packs too, by going on the MyMedic website. And, uh, if you're looking at this and you're like, I'm not really a back country kind of guy or whatever or or gal um but um i do have a kid that's got like a you know some kind of serious allergy to whatever well then you know, set the kit the kit up to to feature that, and you might have to actually go through like a you know a pharmacy to get some of that medication. But you can store that all together in that kit, so that way you know you're going to go to the mm-hmm. go for a picnic as a family. Oh, one of my kids is allergic to bees; just got stung by a bee. All I got to say is to his brother or sister, get that med kit from the car. You know, you don't have to be like, oh, could you go look for the epipen? Yep. You know, it'll all be right there. Yep. And so the kit is very thoughtfully. Uh, put together, in fact, I think those are my cousin brian's uh exact words he said uh somebody you can tell somebody put a lot of thought into this and um absolutely I agree with that um my wife is a is a nurse she's an i c u nurse she was also very impressed um i haven 't got awesome. my I haven't gotten a chance to show it to my brother yet but i'm sure he'd be impressed so he 's a doctor in the army uh, but cool. he i'm sure would be impressed with it as well but you no know, all all the uh, great stuff there in those kits. Um, real quick here, uh, can you tell our listeners how they can track down a MyMedic uh, kit and uh, maybe yeah. even know how to get the right thing for the right application?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a great question because we have a lot of offerings um, and a lot of options. Uh, the easiest way to buy is going to be MyMedic.com. Um, so we sell the majority of our kits. We're primarily direct-to-consumer. Um, But if you're lucky, we may have a presence in your local REI, Sportsman's Warehouse, um, you know, those types of places and lots of mom and pop shops as well. Sure. Um, In terms of selecting the right kit for your activities and your lifestyle, like like I said, we've got a lot of options um, and a lot of different price points as well. Uh, So we make a couple kits that are specific for specific activities. So we have a hiker medic that's going to be specific to the most common injuries people will see while hiking. Um, You know, we've got a cuts and scrapes one. And these are all the lower priced ones. A lot of the ones that are specific for particular activities Mm -hmm. or injuries are going to be a lot more price sensitive. When you get into our universal kits, which is like the MyFact Pro that you have, um, those are going to be a little pricier. But those are also going to cover a wide variety of injuries that you can see regardless of your activity. Um, And then obviously, the next consideration is size and weight. All Mm -hmm. of those are listed on all the product pages. Um, um, So you can make that decision for yourself. Um, And a lot of our kits come in two variations. So if you don't feel like you want to spend the extra money, I would highly advise you, to. Um, or you don't feel like you're ready for a pro kit, those pro kits are going to have tourniquets, chest seals, quick clot, pressure bandages, the life-saving equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't feel like you're ready to either spend that or have the knowledge and skills and confidence to use those, which by the way, we have a training course that comes with pro kits uh, that are purchased. So you can and will be confident in using those um, items. We offer a lot of our kits in a standard variation as well, which is just going to come with a lot of the minor wound stuff. Um, and that's what I think is really, really awesome about our kits is if you get a pro version or even a standard version, you're going to be covering, you know, probably 95% of the injuries you see, bumps and bruises, headaches, you know, upset stomach, the run-of-the-mill first aid stuff. Sure. Our first aid kits are, for those minor wound care, you're going to have such comprehensive care, from start to finish, much more comprehensive care than you would have with a off-the-box, you know, out-of-the-box or off-the-shelf first right. aid kit from a Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, Target. Um, so you're going to be co- covered for a lot of those minor injuries like burns and cuts and sprains and you you, know, you name it in our first aid kits. And then if you update to the Pro kit, um, we're going to give you the tools you need to save life. So tourniquets again, tourniquets chest seal, quick clot. And not only with Pro Kits, you have those items, but we'll also send you a digital course, um, which is taught by our director of education, who is a uh, former combat medic in the special forces. Um he's done, been in medicine for 20 plus years. He teaches you how to apply a tourniquet, how to put on a chest seal, um, when and how to do those, uh, and those life-saving uh, maneuvers and techniques. Um, so you can have that confidence to save life should an emergency arise
2: yeah
0: that's awesome and that you kind of beat me to my other question there uh, in answering that which is good um, you know so like I said and you mentioned I have the MyFact Pro which is a great universal kit I I strongly recommend if you're tuning in and you don't know where to start just get that and from there you may not need every single item in that kit um, when you're mm-hmm. you know maybe I, I brought the whole thing with me to Montana just because But what I did was I kind of created a sub kit off of that. I like supplied a Mm -hmm. sub kit. I took another bag with me and, um, I kept the main kit at base camp. And then when we would go out on our hunts each day, you know, you'd be several miles away from camp You know now i have like a smaller things that would cover like the dude you're screwed moments when you're you Mm -hmm. know way out there you know like a like the cat tourniquet the you know quick clot the gauze the you know something that would would be you know you know a sling if you slipped and fell busted an arm or something you know the stuff that's gonna be absolutely gotta have it there whereas like you know some of the other stuff like like um uh, things that could maybe wait a couple hours to to get back to base camp, you know, yeah, you, you can leave that there, and so you can, you can even kind of totally. And I would then say, keep that MyFAC Pro kit in your vehicle, or maybe even just like again, if you're like, well, it's you know, I don't want to have that thing uh mm. just sitting in my car all the time okay well then again go down to the what are the most likely things you would need in a car accident situation um mm-hmm. for either you or somebody else keep those things in your vehicle and almost build like a sub kit would you agree with that method zef
1: yeah yeah like small i prefer to have specialized kits for specialized purposes and obviously i'm blessed because i have you know, really reliable access to the medical equipment that we have here sure, and the supplies that we have. So I'll just walk you through like what my, what my setup is. Yeah, yeah that'd be super helpful. That'd be great. Um, so I've, I've got a truck kit. I've actually got a larger one than what you have. I've got my back large. Okay. Um, and that one's built out. Um, that's a pro kit. Um, I have a pro kit in the back seat. that's got all my minor wound stuff as well as some additional trauma stuff. Um, on the floorboard velcro to the floorboard um, in the front seat i have a dedicated trauma kit Um, so if i need and that's more so if i was in an in in a car accident and i'm in trouble right there on the floor i can reach it i can take care of myself right perfect um um, so that's what i've got in my vehicle setup um and then i run two first aid kits when i'm in the field um i have a and it's a new release you wouldn't have gotten it because we just released them this past year i should definitely send you one because we've got some more backpack kind of friendly
2: yeah, uh, yeah sizes
1: um so i run a side what we call it a sidekick i run a sidekick in my pack um and that's got a lot of the uh, minor wound stuff in it um so it's got band-aids and gauzes and medications and sure. you know and i've kind of customized it a little bit to be a little more you know geared towards hunting and then um in my Occasionally, if a archery hunting or even rival hunting, you'll you'll drop your pack right to make a stock, which means if something happens and your only first aid kits in your pack, um, and something happens while you're out on a stock, you're you're kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. So I t- I run um, basically just in a Ziploc bag. I um, will run a smaller kit um, in my vinyl no harness. Okay. So I I usually keep um, some very small things in my vinyl no harness, like band a couple band aids, some blister strips. Um, sunscreen have been caught out in the sun
2: yes. waiting for
1: a deer stand, yes. waiting for a deer to stand, um, and you know, didn't have sunscreen on, um, some, a little bit of like lip balm, just some of those minor things that like not, are not going to make or break your hunt. But if you're sitting two, three hours waiting for a buck to stand up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and those things are gnawing at you and taking your focus away from the task at hand, um, then that's an issue, right?
0: Yep, definitely.
1: So I have a small small one of those kits um, in a, just in like a Ziploc bag, and that goes right into the back of my vinyl harness. Don't even know it's there. Um, and then I keep all my life saving stuff on my person in my vinyl harness at all times. Um, so I've got a tourniquet um, outside of my vinyl harness. And then usually in a cargo pocket, I'll have uh, another small Ziploc with some packing gauze and chest seals. Um, and awesome. then also a a space blanket so yeah again like something happened and i couldn't get even back to my pack um like i was you know twisted my ankle real bad sun's going down and i just need to hunker down um i've got a space blanket so i can you know make shift a, a shelter with that if i need to or at least keep myself warm if i'm caught out um and then figure out a way to get back to my pack and obviously back to the truck so i've got a lot of redundancies built in um to my kit and um yeah, I think that's really important, especially for us guys that are out I end up going out solo a lot. Um, yeah. I, I, have to have, I have to have that, you know, I've got, I've got a girlfriend and yeah, I've got a family at home that, that, you know, needs, needs me to, to be around. So, yep. um, I've got responsibilities, so I gotta be able to get back to my, yep. back to my pack to get me back to my truck to get me back to civilization. Obviously, yeah, worst to worst, at... the, you hit the SOS on the Garmin, but
2: yep. no one wants to do that.
0: Right. 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 No, that's that's excellent way to look at it. I like that. It's kinda of almost like stepping stones. You know, you, yep. you leave yourself the right the right steps to get back to where you need to be to get yourself absolutely safe. So uh that's a yep. that's a great way to look at it. Well, hey, before uh we close this one down, man, we need a good hunting story. Uh you got you got a hunting story that uh is one of your favorites? Yeah.
1: Probably my most recent, um, I, uh, tagged out on my, my, uh, general season Utah mule deer tag this year. Awesome. Um, it was real big, real big for me. Cause I had kind of been, uh, I had my hand held a lot growing up hunting. I was really fortunate to have, um, family, friends and friends who were really knowledgeable, always willing to take me sure. But because of that, I didn't get to learn to do a lot of the things myself. I kind of, they were a great resource, but also a bit of a crutch. Sure. Um, so, so moving to Utah a couple years ago, kind of lost all that, all my buddies and stuff stayed in Arizona, but I knew I wanted to hunt in Utah. Um, so I've been hunting solo the last two years. Mm -hmm. Um, that's been obviously a, you know, there's a big learning curve and had to learn a lot for myself. And, and this year was the first year that I was successful solo. I had a tag last year, didn't fill it. Um, had a cow tag in Arizona last year, didn't fill it. So, um, so this year was my first time filling the tag solo. So that nice meant a lot work, to man. me. Um, yeah. So youth, public land pressure in Utah is ridiculous, especially in those general <laughs> season rifle tags. Sure. Um, so i have been, I'd been in an area, you know, we're high country mule deer. So we're, you know, at 9,000 feet, um, in a unit I'd never hunted before. Saw some great bucks, um, that you know, in my scouting trips, and the day before the hunt opened, um, and I had like five awesome bucks that I would have killed any one of those bucks first. The day before hunt opens, I was like, "All right, I'm going to put them to bed. I'm gonna be you know right right where to be next morning, um, and I'll be done first thing in the morning." Yeah, and I wanted to do that because I knew that there was weather moving in. Opening day, sure, uh, we were supposed to get a gnarly gnarly snowstorm um, around one o'clock that day, so I was like. I'm I want to get this done before you know nine o'clock ten yep, o'clock yep. so I can pack up and get off the mountain um so woke up uh well as I was leaving the mountain then the night before um opening day that whole morning I didn't see anyone I was like mm. oh great like I'm in a good spot coming off the mountain and I just see it's like a city of trucks on the road I'm like, <laughs> oh my god great and as I was leaving um I saw a couple headlamps, headlamps, uh, headlamps coming in and I was like, Oh great. Here we go. Um, so I was like, yeah, my, my spot's blown. I wasn't camping out. I was uh truck hunting Okay. Yep. and, um, uh, these guys looked like they were packing in, they were packing into the spot that I was basically just at. There was only the one Ridge, so they weren't going anywhere else. Um, yeah. so I had to make a morning of opening day, had to make a uh, decision to try a different spot, had never been to it. Um, didn't have any eyes on it prior, but I didn't want to go where I knew the guys were sleeping, you know, yeah. right where I was. And I'd seen those five bucks go to bed. So kind of just threw a Hail Mary, got really lucky, um, had bucks at 600 yards. So I was in this big bowl, um, and couldn't really see down below me cause there were some trees.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, but I was crossing across the bowl and I could see about, you know, four or five deer that I was willing to punch my tag on and, uh, started making a move. And as I do that, these trees that are below me maybe only 30 40 yards i see some movement through the trees and i was like oh shoot so i stopped and (laughs) luckily just had just had one buck step out um you know at 30 yards um, oh man and and that was it so um that's awesome got got my got my tag filled and then uh luckily had a buddy come help me pack out and then uh yeah that was it it got out of there before the storm got really bad and uh, butchered the whole deer myself this year as well. That was the first. Nice um, work. So yeah, definitely, a, definitely a good year for me in terms of just building confidence as a hunter, as a self-taught hunter, and um, yeah, it was awesome. So definitely looking forward to doing the coos deer um, and hopefully rinse and repeat uh, here
0: in there two weeks. There you go. There you go. Now that's awesome. School when it all, all works out when it feels like it's not going to. Everybody hates that feeling of what it was last night is not what it is right now and Mm -hmm. i got a quick audible this is all falling apart good job keeping your head and your confidence uh because uh that's that's what makes the difference if you're gonna find that success is uh if you keep that that positive frame of mind to uh make it happen and you know there's so so much of hunting is just like that you know where we put our best laid plans together and then a buck walks out at 30 yards. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's, that's basically how, I mean, I, I, that, that's basically how my season went this year. I shot a buck at that 33 yards in my muzzleloader and uh, mm-hmm. I was hunting a different buck and it's like, yep. Oh, he's right there. You know, it's, 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 it's just nice when it works out like that. And, and yep. uh, you know, you probably grew as a hunter too, by having to go through, that's separate scouting experience. You got better with scouting, but then uh, you got better Mm -hmm. with adjusting on the fly too. when those plans fell apart. Because who knows, maybe, uh, maybe if you'd been like, no, you know, I'm going to stick it out. I saw these deer here. I'm going to make it work. Well, with so many people piling in those bucks may have, (laughs) they may have been out of there, you know, just blown out. Yeah, exactly. So no, that's, that's really cool. Glad you had the success and hope uh, that continues for you in a couple of weeks here down in arizona that's, that's yeah
1: a, looking forward to it
0: yeah that's a that's a dream hunt are, are coos deer really that hard to see with with binos they call them the gray ghosts or whatever
1: dude it's something else um i mean like most western hunting you know i'm i've got uh, you know 10 by 42s in the chest rig and then i i'm not a big spotting scope guy typically sure so I'll run some 15s or some 18 binos and I'll just glue those in my pack and swap them out on my tripod um asking from a tripod for cruise deer is mandatory if you try to handle you will never, never <laughs> ever find have to be, uh, they have to be steady um, but like minimum magnification in my experience for cruise deer is like 15 okay,
0: binos, that's good to know 10,
1: 15 and then yeah you might want if you don't Typically bring a spotter. You want to bring a spotter for coos deer. Sure. Because um, they're really, even with 15s, field judging them. Um, like if you're looking, if you're just trying to fill tag, it's different, right? But yep. if you're looking for like a, a big coos deer, which for those of you who don't know much about coos deer hunting, a hundred inch coos deer is a big coos deer.
2: <laughs> yes. Um,
1: and that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping to break a hundred this year. Um, my personal best is 95 right now. So, there you um, go. But if you're, if, you're, if you're trying to field judge coos deer, um, you got you to have a spotter. Um, and you know, my buddy, uh, he packs his like 85 millimeter back into the backcountry because um, nice. you got to sacrifice the weight, yeah, yep. to be able to do that. It's it's pretty fun. It's a tough hunt for sure.
2: Yeah,
0: well, definitely, definitely still on my bucket list. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up about the optics because uh, that's a good transition here for one of the sponsors of the show, Alex Gruen from East to West Hunts. You can go to eastwesthunts.com or alexgruen.com, and uh, he's got all the gear rentals there. He can, he has uh a couple sets of 15s, he's got some spotting scopes, he's got tripods, he's got everything you need if you want to go and uh chase after coos deer down in uh Arizona with uh with uh Zeff. There's uh there's yeah. there's those uh opportunities there. Uh, with with Alex or you can even uh, take care of your tag application help you learn about the quota system that Zeph was talking nice. about um, he's he's uh, he's the man to talk to so if you're uh, listening in make sure you check out alex and then also don't forget about our presenting sponsor it is that holiday time of year right now and a great gift for uh, someone that you uh, uh for for the hunter that you love would be a subscription to uh spartan forge um definitely still some opportunities here in whitetail country um Yes, the best days have gone by, but they aren't the only days. There's still a lot of good days. In fact, so in some ways, once you get out of the rut, things become a little bit more patternable, a little bit more predictable. Uh, so make sure you check out Spartan Forge. Get that deer behavior prediction capability that's based on the GPS collar data, but also all of the mapping uh needs that you have uh the the new maps are just incredible the amount of detail you can adjust the contours on the topo maps if you would like and of course get that landowner information as well for knocking on doors alex uh just had to knock on some doors out in kansas this week while he's out there hunting and uh they saw a circus of buck activity i think the way he uh described it to me was two big bucks fighting surrounded by about uh like five to eight other bucks watching on. Uh so uh pretty uh pretty cool situation that he saw there. Used uh some landowner information, found who it was, knocked on the door, they got permission and they already got a buck on the ground. So uh, use Spartan Forge to help you in all of those hunting applications. And of course check out my medic. Um you can go to uh the website which is mymedic.com, right? Is that, is that the right website? Yep. So, so mymedic.com and uh, piece together that kit that you need. Or you can find a link uh, in the show notes here on this episode. Or you can go to uh, my Instagram account, go to my link tree, and it'll be one of the top links featured there. You can click on uh, the MyMedic link there. Get yourself all set up to uh, be safer at home and on the road and in the backcountry, uh, as Zeff talked about today. Well, Zeff, thank you so much, brother. It was, uh, it was a privilege to get of to talk man. to you. We put a lot of time into making this welcome. episode happen. but uh, we, we did. <laughs> we had had a, we had to schedule and reschedule and just uh life is crazy schedule and reschedule again yep, yep. Pod, doing a hunting podcast during hunting season is an interesting uh, endeavor but uh it's uh it was good to finally nail one down wish the best of luck to you coming up here in a couple of weeks and uh thank you all- i appreciate that yeah for sure and to all of you listening in, we thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, be sure to follow along on Instagram, Facebook, Go Wild. Of course, you can go to the website, firstgenhunter.com. Um, and, uh, you, you know, don't forget about the other guys that are often on this show hosting with me. Brandon, Caleb, Alex, Jake. Uh, you guys can find their information. Um, in the show notes as well well thank you so much for tuning in everyone until next time take care and take someone hunting